Galatians chapter 4. Galatians 4, verse 4, and also verse 19. And there you have the theme on the screen, the two births of Christ. Die twee geboortes van Christus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, all glory, honor, and praise be to you now and forever. Jesus Christ, God the Son, worship and thanksgiving belongs to you. And we honor you like we honor the Father. Jesus equal to the Father, the exact imprint of your nature. Father, the radiance of your glory. And Holy Spirit, we give you praise. The eternal Spirit of the living God, the Lord. Praise and thanksgiving be to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would now open our hearts and let the Word, the sword of the Spirit, cut through our hearts, wound and heal, and restore and save. For your great name's sake we pray. Amen. Now we know that you cannot build a large building without a foundation. But it will not help that you lay a foundation and you build nothing on it. And so it is with the two births of Christ. So the birth of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem is the foundation that is necessary if you want Christ to be born anew in your heart. But on the other hand, what will the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem help you, the foundation, unless he is also born in your heart? So we see both of these, both are necessary, and we find them in Galatians 4, verse 4 and verse 19. So the first birth is in verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law. So there's the first birth of Jesus. So God, when it, when it says in verse 4, when the fullness of time had come, in other words, this was a plan in the mind of God from all eternity. God had planned that he would send his son. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 20 speaks of Jesus who was known or foreknown before the foundation of the earth. So it is for eight beskik, for eight plan. And then in Isaiah 46 verse 10 it says, God knows the end from the beginning. And he says, my counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all my purpose. And so now finally, the eternal plan now comes into being. It's fulfilled as Jesus comes and is born in Bethlehem. And then, when it says the fullness of time had come, remember the Old Testament prophets, they prophesied someone will come, a Redeemer will come, the Christ will come, the Messiah, the Lord. And so now, finally, the fullness of time had come. Daniel, in Daniel 9, verse 24 to 27, he, he gives you even the exact time when Jesus will be born. He works out the dates for you. You can go and check that. It's a difficult passage. But Daniel gives the time span and time frame. And so now Paul writes the fullness of time. Finally this has come. And then something more. There's an Old 
Testament, an Old Covenant, uh, a Verbond, uh, a Final Will and Testament is the New. But you've got an Old Covenant where you've got all the types and shadows of animal sacrifices and human priests and an earthly temple built of stone or a tabernacle before that, that built of animal skins and fabric materials. And those were all just pictures, all just a preview, all just shadows of the fullness that would come one day in Jesus Christ. And Paul says that fullness has now come in the fullness of time. So the Old Testament, the Old Covenant would be done away with. The New Covenant would replace it. The New Covenant would come, Hebrews 8 verse 13. And then another reason for writing the fullness of time had come. This was the perfect time for Jesus to be born. God's timing is perfect. Alexander the Great, a great Greek king, Alexander the Great had conquered the ancient world 300 years before Jesus was born. And the Greek culture influenced the whole ancient world. So everyone could speak Greek. And everyone had accepted, to a certain extent, Greek, Greek culture and Greek literature. It was called uh, Hellenizing the world. And so now Jesus is born in this time where the whole world can speak one language. And the Romans, after Alexander the Great, the Romans finally conquered the ancient world, and their empire stretched even further all the way to England. And so the Roman Empire, all of Europe, Great Britain, uh, Eastern and Western Europe, parts of Western Europe, down through the Middle East, North Africa, and even as far as the borders of Persia, which is today is modern-day Iran and Iraq. And so the Roman Empire rules. You don't need passports to cross borders. You can just go wherever you please. They even built highways, like uh, the Via Ignata, that goes all the way from Istanbul in Turkey uh, right to Macedonia and Albania. And then you just cross a short stretch of ocean or sea, and then you hit the Appian Way, the Appian Highway that goes from the south, what's that, southeast of Italy up to Rome. And so you've got highways, those are just two of the highways, you've got highways everywhere, it's very easy to travel. Now take that combination, a common language, everyone in the empire can speak Greek and Latin also. A single empire and highways everywhere. Jesus was born at exactly the right time. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, can spread everywhere very fast, very easily. And so God's timing, as I said a moment ago, is perfect. Verse 4 again, when the fullness of time had come. Now imagine this. In this time when the Son of God is born, before this time, God is invisible. God is a spirit, John 4 verse 24. God cannot be seen. He has never been seen. He cannot be seen. 1 Timothy 6 verse 16. Jesus said in John chapter 6, He said, No one has seen the Father except he who comes from the Father. And that obviously is Jesus. So before this, this is John 6 46, before this, Jesus does appear in the Old Testament. God does appear. But it's called, it's a big word, it's called theophanies, theophania. That just mean, means God manifests himself in visible ways. He shows himself in ways you can see, like a burning bush. 
or like a, a cloud, a fiery cloud, he leads the Israelites, or thunder and lightning on Mount Sinai, or Moses when he sees, I want to see your glory, I want to see you, Lord. God says, no one can see my face and live. You will die if you see my face. I'll, I'll put you in the rock and I'll cover you there. And as I pass, you'll just see uh, the glow, the afterglow, the magnificence, the brilliance, the brightness, the light. But even there, that's a theophany. God, God makes himself visible. But God in his essence, God in who he is, is invisible. He cannot be seen. Now imagine this, as we read this, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. So only when God becomes a man for the very first time ever, God will be seen in human form now. God becomes man, takes on a human nature. John 1 verse 18, no one has seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side or in the Father's bosom. He has made God known. So this is Jesus, the, the Son making known, making the Father known. Wow, for the first time, men and angels will see God. Can you imagine the suspense, the avachten? It's nail-biting. This eternal plan of God, God had made a covenant, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. There's this covenant made, uh, uh, that the Son will become man. The Father will send His Son. The Holy Spirit will work in the womb of the Virgin and create a human body for the Son of God. The Son of God will unite Himself, the Eternal One, to human nature. So imagine this, this eternal covenant. And now suddenly in heaven, the Father says to the Son, It is time. The time has come. What happened in heaven at that very moment? I wonder what happened. Did, did all of heaven break out in applause? Or was there silence you could hear a pin drop? What happened in that moment? Was everyone surprised? All of heaven. Great surprise and shock. The time has come. Did they know? Did they know when God would fulfill the prophecies? Because the Old Testament did say there were many prophecies that, that said that the Son of God would come or the Messiah would be born. But did they know this is how it's going to happen? Yes, it was prophesied a virgin will become pregnant. The virgin will conceive. But did they understand the timing of the prophecies? It seems to me maybe they didn't understand. Because it says in 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 10 to 12, the prophets prophesied about all of these things about Christ, but they tried to figure out when and who was this person. And even angels, it says in 1 Peter 1, verse 12, they look into these things and they can't figure it out. It's too wonderful for them. So imagine this. When God makes the announcement, it is time. Because he's going to send the angels to go to Mary and say you will become pregnant. But when God makes the announcement, just think of the awe and the wonder. I wonder what happened. 
did the news spread like a wildfire. Like wildfire, it spreads near. Oh, did you hear? Did you hear? And everyone's whispering. Or was everyone just quiet? Or did God announce it? I don't know. Deuteronomy 29 verse 29 is my favorite go-to text. Because it says the secret things belong to the Lord. We don't know what happened in heaven at that moment. What we do know is that the Old Testament believers who had already died and were in heaven, God says he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. So the Old Testament believers who were already in heaven, we know they rejoiced. Because Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 56, he said to the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders, he said, Abraham saw my day. He saw my day and he rejoiced. And the angels rejoiced and the angels were filled with praise and awe and wonder because it says in Hebrews 1, verse 6, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. So we know as much as that. And then when Jesus is finally born, heaven just breaks out in praise. We read it in Luke 2, verse 13, where this, this heavenly host, a multitude, a heavenly army of angels, praising God and crying out, glory to God in the highest. Eer aan God in die hoogste jimmel. Wow. So the father then sends his son on this mission, this rescue mission. He sends him to earth. Verse 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Just like in verse 6, it says, um, God has sent his spirit. The same Greek word there, he sent his Holy Spirit, just like he sent his son. So the son of God is sent into the world on a rescue mission. And I wonder what Jesus felt like. Here's the son of God. He's existed for all eternity. What does it feel like to leave heavenly glory? What does it feel like to leave the Father's side? One with the Father. What did the Father feel like? In sending His beloved Son, the Son of His heart, the Son of His love. What a great sacrifice. Remember, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Perfect unity, perfect fellowship. The Father loved the Son before He ever created the world. John 17, 24. And the Son loves the Father, it says in John 14 at the end. I think it's verse 30 or 31. The, the Son loves the Father. And so imagine this. This Son of God, one with the Father. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. So this Son now has to come to the world. And He's decided willingly to come. And the Father sends His beloved, that is my Son. And here Jesus comes to the earth and He has to be born. What a great sacrifice. What great humiliation for the infinite Son of God. Infinite means no beginning, no end. The infinite Son of God to be born as a baby in Bethlehem. God to become man. God to take on the form almost like a slave, a servant, not even a rich king. But a poor baby, poor parents, no, no place in the hotel. Poor, he's rejected, he's an outcast, he's a nobody. So here he comes, 
humbled. Imagine this, God who fills heaven and earth. This God lies in the womb of a virgin, a womb of, the womb of a woman, the womb of a mother. He needs his mother for everything. He needs her for food. He needs milk from his mother, just like his mother needs him to exist. Even while he's lying in the womb, all things are upheld by the word of Christ's power. The whole universe is held together, held together in Jesus Christ. Colossians 1 verse 16 and 17. So he needs this, this God who upholds the universe by the word of his power. This God needs his own creation. The woman he created, he needs her to survive, to live in this world. <coughs> Thomas Watson said, For the Son of God to become man was a greater leap than for angels to become worms. So the Son of God, He who existed before He was born, He who existed before time began, He who is the creator of all things, He who is the creator of time, He who is the eternal one, the holy one. <coughs> Micah chapter 5, <coughs> excuse me, verse 1. It speaks of the birth of the Messiah the birth of Christ Jesus. And then Micah says these words. In, in English it will be Micah 5 verse 2. Afrikaans it's verse 1. But you, O Bethlehem Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from Bethlehem. For me, one who is to be a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Do you know another verse in the Bible that speaks of ancient days? Have you ever sung that song? The Ancient of Days. That comes from Daniel 7. Jesus is the Ancient One. The Eternal One. John 8 verse 58. Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is, I am who I am. We're not like that. Some people think we are. I remember a girl in my Sunday school class, she was eight years old at the time, and she said to me, yes, we existed in heaven before we came to earth, before we were born. I said, no, we didn't. <laughs> the Mormons believe that. They believe we were spirit babies in heaven floating around. Eventually you came and you got a human body. And so uh, some new age groups, actually during this week while I was busy with the preparation, I wanted to check, double check what do the Mormons believe on this, and then I got to some other teaching of a group of New Ages. And they believe we are spirit babies floating around. So you, they are spirit babies everywhere. And they're looking for their mother. And so you must just talk to the spirit babies. If you're a mom and you want a child, and just talk to the... And the right baby will find the right mother. Not long ago, a woman said that to me on the phone. She said to me, oh, I don't know if you've ever read this in the Bible, but we existed in heaven before we came to earth. And I, I'm so glad God, God gave me the privilege to choose I want to come to this earth. Goodness gracious, that is nonsense. Well, it's not nonsense when we talk about Jesus because that's true of him. He did exist be before he came to earth, not as a spirit baby, but as the eternal God. And he decided to come to earth to take 
a human nature, a human body and soul. And now you see that in verse 4. This God, the Son of God, sent forth, born of woman. Wow. And think of this. I asked you earlier, what did it feel like? What did Jesus feel when he thought, I need to leave heavenly glory by free choice? You know what Jesus felt? It tells us in the Bible his emotion about that. Psalm 40 verse 9. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is in my heart. Just before that. And it's quoted in Hebrews 10. It says, God created a human body for him. But he delighted in that. He so wanted to please the Father. As long as he, as long as he could please his Father and honor God. He would do that gladly. He would do that willingly. It was his food. It was his meat. It was his meat and drink to do the will of God. John 4 verse 34. What did the Father feel like? What did the Father feel? What emotion did the Father feel in sending his beloved Son to come to this world and he knows what's going to happen. His Son will die. Son of man. Well, this is what he felt. John 10 verse 17. Jesus says, the Father loves me because I lay down my life for my sheep. The Father loves me. The Father, when Jesus was baptized, said, this is my beloved Son. On the Mount of Transfiguration, the mountain where Jesus' face shone like the sun, Matthew 17, 5, um, and the voice said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. The Father wants everyone to respect His Son, to honor His Son for what He has done. And for who he is. So here comes Jesus, born as a baby, born as a human. When it says in verse 4, born a woman, that means Jesus is really a human being. A real human being. It's not just, oh, Jesus looks like a human, but he just, he just appears to be a human. Like some parents will put on a, a Father Christmas suit, a Santa Claus suit, and it looks like Santa Claus. It's not really Santa Claus. Because we know why doesn't exist. Jesus is not like that. Jesus is really a human being. John, 1 John 4 verse 2 and 3, it says the antichrists believe that he just looks like a human, he's not really one. But, but where the Spirit of God moves and he convicts people and converts people, he shows them Jesus is really human. God became man. Truly God, truly man. Two natures, one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why does it say in verse 4, born of woman? What doesn't it say? Born of man and woman. He's born of a virgin. He doesn't have a human father. It says in Isaiah 7 verse 14, The virgin shall conceive, and she'll bear a son, and she shall call his name Emmanuel. And we know that means God with us. So this is God who becomes man, born of a virgin. To show he only has one father, and that is his heavenly father. He's the son of God. Now, this, this birth, born of a virgin, that is so that Jesus would not have, would not inherit the sinful nature of Adam. They need die sonde genatuur van Adam erfni. 
Because all of us, we children of Adam, we sinners like Adam. Adam sinned and Eve sinned and all their children, descendants are sinners. Uh, a giraffe and a giraffe have a baby and it's a kudu. It's a giraffe. Sinner and a sinner have a child and it's a sinner. Psalm 51 verse 5. Born in sin. Conceived in sin. Moment of conception. And so Jesus is not tainted. It's never smit by the sin of Adam. And he's not tainted by the sin of his mother Mary. Because she's a sinner. But Jesus is the sinless one. The perfect one. Hebrews 7 verse 26. The writer to the Hebrews tells us about this. And he says it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He is called the Holy One in Luke 1 verse 35. Now a question for you. Why did God not just skip the middle section? It's like, let's say you've got a very big factory and the little shop on the corner wants to buy, but there's somewhere there's a middleman, the great trader, the great metro. And so the big factory supplies, this big shop buys from them and the little shop buys. Why not cut out the middleman? Why not cut out Mary? And just say God could have created a human body for his son in heaven and sent him from heaven floating down to earth. I mean, he, he went up to heaven in a human body 40 days after the res resurrection. He disappeared in a cloud. Why couldn't he come down that way? I think the reason why is we might then have said he's not a human being like us. He doesn't understand us. And, and in order for Jesus to save the descendants of Adam, the children of Adam, he had to be a child of Adam. He had to be from the line of Adam. <coughs> Luke 3 tells us that. Verse 23 to 38. You see the genealogy of Jesus. All the names. His father and his father. Now obviously Jesus didn't have a human father. Although he had a human mother. And so Jesus also comes from Adam. So he can save the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. Another reason why. Is Jesus had to be born. Like verse 4 says. Born of woman. So that he could fulfill the promise of Genesis 3 verse 15. The seed of the woman will crush the snake's head, the serpent's head. If Jesus just zoomed down from heaven in the human body that was created there, then he wasn't born of woman. Then he couldn't fulfill the promise. So that's why it was necessary for him to have a human mother. I do not think that many Christians understand the importance of Christmas. Yes, we celebrate Christmas. Yes, we know it's all about the birth of Jesus, God becoming man. Do we understand the importance? Do we understand the importance of the virgin birth? If Jesus was not born of a virgin, if Jesus did not become a human being, then he could not die for our sins because God cannot die. 1 Timothy 1 verse 17. He is the immortal one, the unsterfliker. So Jesus had to be a human so he could die for our sins. And then 
Jesus also not only had to be a human, he had to be born of a virgin. Why? So he could be a sinless human being with no sinful nature. And then he also, it was necessary for him to not commit sin. And so Jesus didn't commit any sin. He didn't do any sin. That was necessary. Why? Otherwise he couldn't die for us. Why? Well, yet he'll, he would have to have died for his own sin. But he doesn't have sin. So now he can die for our sins. The sinless son of God. The sinless lamb. The spotless lamb of God. 1 Peter 1 verse 19 speaks that way. And then... It was necessary to be born of a virgin, not a human father, but only a human mother, so that he, can only, he only had one father. He is the Son of God. And God is his father. So Son of God and Son of Man. Why? Because otherwise Jesus couldn't die for all of our sins. If he was just a human, then, well, he could take... He could not take an eternal punishment during six hours on a cross because he's not eternal. He's just a human. But he is the eternal one. He is God and man. Therefore, he can take an eternal punishment and pay an infinite price for many, 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 many sinners and all their sins. Psalm 49 says in verse 79, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his soul so that he shouldn't see the pit, shouldn't see hell. Because the, the price of their soul is costly. Skip down a few verses. Verse 15. But God will ransom my soul. A human being cannot ransom your soul. Jesus had to be God in order to ransom us, to save us. Thank God for Christmas. Thank God that the Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men can become sons of God. And that's Paul's point. Because just the next verse, verse 5, that we might receive adoption as sons. So Jesus did this how? He did this by, verse 4, born under the law. He was born under the law. The lawgiver becomes the law keeper, not the law breaker. We are the law breakers. He comes, becomes the law keeper. He looks down upon the sons of men, upon the children of men. Isaiah 59, verse 16, and he is very displeased because he sees no one keeps his law. And then he decides, my own arm will bring me salvation. My son, I will send him. Jesus will come and keep the law in the place of sinners. God would rather bring down the punishment upon his son. The son of God would rather cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Be deserted by God, be punished by God. He would rather do that then see his holy law trampled in the mud by arrogant human beings who will not keep the law of God. So Jesus will come. He will keep the law perfectly to show my law is glorious. My law is holy. 
He will keep the law perfectly to show God hates sin. So he keeps the law perfectly, 1 Peter 2 verse 22. And then he will come and will play the part of the lawbreaker. Although he's not the lawbreaker, he's the law, the lawgiver and the lawkeeper. But he will take the part of the lawbreaker. He will die in the place of lawbreakers like us who have trampled God's holy law, spit on God's holy law, and Jesus comes and he becomes the curse for us. Galatians 3 verse 13. The curse that the law demands. And he will do that to show God is holy. God's law is holy. Now we are saved how? How are you and I saved? By the death of Jesus, yes. By the resurrection of Jesus, yes. Are we saved by law-keeping? Well, yes and no. Yes, by Christ's law-keeping. No, not by our law-keeping. So we are not saved by law-keeping, but by faith. Now some people say, oh, faith. Salvation by faith. And some people will say, yes, we are saved by believing in Jesus, but not only by believing in Jesus. We also have to keep the law if we want to be saved. That's the Galatian heresy. That's the false teaching Paul is writing against in Galatians. Because they said you're saved by faith in Jesus, plus you must keep all these laws. We are saved by faith alone. In Christ alone. Now, some people might say, oh, so you're just throwing the law of God away. No, we are not. We are upholding the law. We are showing God's law is so holy, He will not allow a human being to keep it imperfectly. He will not allow people to say, I can be saved by keeping the law half-heartedly. I can be saved by keeping the law imperfectly. God will not allow that. His law is holy. God demands perfect obedience and if you do not obey perfectly God demands the law come down with all its crushing power upon you to crush you and the mercy of God sends his son to keep that law perfectly in the place of sinners and to die under the crushing power of the law in the place of sinners. That is how serious God is about his law. So that is why Jesus dies. Under the law. Born, verse 4, under the law. So that all who believe in the Son of God, the perfect life of Jesus the perfect law-keeping of Jesus. Cut and paste. Cut from Jesus' book, from his life, put on your books. And all your sin and my sin and our law-breaking, cut and paste. Put on the books of Jesus and he pays the fine. That is the good news of Christmas. That is the good news of God becoming man. 
Oh, what a great day it must have been in heaven. All the angels in awe. All the Old Testament believers marveling when the God of Exodus 19 and 20, the God of Mount Sinai, the God of thunder and lightning in His fists, the God of fire and smoke and earthquake and trumpet sound, when He thunders the law, I am the Lord your God, who saved you from the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. And the rest of the Ten Commandments. When that God who thundered the law lies helpless as a little baby in a manger born under the law for our sin. Number two, and much shorter than number one. So that was his first birth. Let us look shortly at his second birth. Verse 19, Galatians 4. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Now Paul, Paul calls these Galatians, he says, you my little children. Like the kids' club children who are here today. I can't see so far. My eyes are not good. Is that junior number one, junior number two, and Daryl? Is it you? Gilbert? Can I see the right children there? All right. So I'm really happy the kids' club. That's, this is the other kids' club. They've never been here. Thanks for bringing them, Gilbert. But Paul says to the Galatians, these Christians, he says, you're my little children. What he means is, you were saved through my preaching. I'm your spiritual father in a sense. You, you can read that exact uh, description in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 toward the end where Paul calls the Corinthians, he says, my little children. It's through my preaching that you became Christians. And so he says, you're my little children. And maybe he says, you little children, because I wanted to give you meat. You have to grow and become strong, but now you must have milk again because you haven't learned these false teachers are tricking you. Don't listen to them. You little children. You're still ignorant. But above all, when he says, little children, who's the great father of these little children? It's not Paul. It's God. Children of God, these Galatians are. You read that in verse 5 and verse 6. We've received adoption as sons. We cry out, Abba, Father, because the Spirit is in us. So the little children, and it's, and it's for these little children... It's, it's in order for them to become children of God that Jesus had to come to Bethlehem, but also that Jesus who was born in Bethlehem now has to be born in their hearts. And so Paul is saying in verse 19, you Christians, are you really Christians? You started following false teachers. Are you really Christians? I so wish that Jesus will be born in your heart. He will be formed in you. So desire this for you. He must, he, must, he must live inside you by His Spirit. He must be in you and you must be in Him through the Word and faith and prayer. Isn't that what He says in chapter 2 verse 20? I'm crucified, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ 
who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in Christ, by faith in Him, the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. We must be like Mary. Yes, Jesus is born in Bethlehem, Luke 2. But I also read in Luke 2 today that Mary hid these things in her heart, thinking through all of these things about her Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. To all who have received him, to them he has, to those who believed in his name, to them he has given the right to become children of God. So we are now the children of God because Christ lives in us. Ephesians 3 verse 16 and 17. It speaks of the Spirit, um, through the Spirit who dwells in us. And then it says that this Holy Spirit, through him, may Christ dwell in our hearts through faith. Jesus himself said he will send the Spirit to dwell in us forever. And then he says a few verses down, John 14, 23. If anyone loves my Father, if anyone loves me, he will keep my commandments. And my Father will love him and we will come and make our dwelling with him. He will dwell in us. He will live in our hearts, in our lives. So when I say living in our hearts, I don't mean like a friend of mine. When he was just a little boy says, maybe, I don't know, was he eight years old, seven years old? And he knelt by his bedside and he had the, the winter pajamas, you know, with the buttons. And he buttoned down his shirt because he was in church that evening. And he had heard that, that Christ must dwell in our hearts, live in our hearts. And he buttoned his shirt and he opened his shirt because he thought, how's Jesus going to get through the pajamas? So he said, Jesus, please live in my heart. That's not what I mean with heart. We don't mean this, this muscle, this organ pumping blood. When we speak of your heart, we mean all that you are. All that you are as a human being, the center of your being. All your words and deeds and thoughts flow from your heart, the center of your being. Proverbs 4 verse, 20, verse 23. That's what we mean. Jesus must take over. He must control your whole being. All that you are. This is where Christ must be on the throne. Does Jesus live in your heart? Does he dwell in your heart? I'm not, I'm not asking, does he live in human hearts? I'm asking, does he live in your heart? In your heart personally? Is he your Lord? Is he your King? Do you submit to him? Then do not do what the Galatians did. The Galatians turned away from Jesus. They turned away from the true gospel. Chapter 1 verse 6. And Paul is all worried about this. He's biting his nails. He's anxious. It's like he's a, a mother who's going to give birth to a baby and the contractions and the birth pangs, the birth pains. He says in verse 19, My little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. It's like he's saying to the Galatians, I want to make sure, are you Christians? I want to make sure, does Jesus live in you? Is, has he been born in your heart? Is Christ formed in you? There are parents here this morning. And there are grandpas and grandmas here this morning that are very worried about their children because they like the Galatians. Because once upon a time, long ago and far away, these children were with them in church every Sunday. And they, they said that they served the Lord and they made a profession of faith. But they like the Galatians. Oh, they've gone far away from Jesus Christ. They've turned away and these grandparents are like this, like Paul. It's like a woman going to 
birth pangs, going to give birth to a baby. They ang- they're in anguish, they're anxious, they're praying, Lord, turn my children back to you. There are pastors who feel like this. I am one such pastor who feels like this. I pray through my prayer list with all of your names. Every single one of you is on this list. Every person who visits this church regularly, every person who is a member of this church, I pray for you every single day of the week. And there are some of you, when I get to your names, I pray like Paul, I am anxious. Lord, they served the Lord. They served you faithfully once, and now they've, they're not faithful anymore. Ah. I just want to tell you, if you're such a member, or if you're such a person, or you're such a child or grandchild, please, will you not... I am pleading with you. Will you not make this day, Christmas, 25 December, will you not make Christmas a day of renewed commitment, of saying, Christ must be formed in me. I want to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ who gave his life for me. Make this a day of repentance, of turning back to the Lord. Most of you sitting here today, and I hope listening online, most of you do follow the Lord faithfully. You faithful servants of Christ. What am I going to say to you this morning? I'm going to say verse 19 to you also, and to me. More of Christ. More of Christ. I want to become more like Jesus. I want... Christ to be formed in me until I look like Jesus, until my life is, until I follow in the footsteps of my Savior faithfully, more and more. Um, 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This comes by the Lord who is the Spirit. It will mere as Jesus will. Mere na sy beeld. Mere na sy beeld. Mere na sy beeld. Until you can put Jesus and me next to each other and my life looks like Jesus. And that will only happen, unfortunately, when Jesus comes. 1 John 3 verse 2. We will see Him as He is. When we see Him, we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. Perfectly holy. And God has given you ways and means to become like Jesus. He's given you the word. He's given you the gathering of the believers, the fellowship of the saints, the preaching of the word. He's given you prayer. He's given you the Lord's table, the nachmal, where you can eat the bread and drink the wine and remember the death of Jesus for you. Becoming more like Jesus, more like Jesus. Let me just say this in closing. A final application for those parents who are praying for those children who have gone astray. For those grandparents who are praying or brothers and sisters who are praying for those who have gone astray. And maybe a pastor somewhere, perchance, stumbles upon this sermon. To you, sir, pray verse 19. Pray that Christ would be formed in these people, like Augustine's mother. Augustine lived 400 years after Christ. And Augustine's mom 
she so prayed that her son would become a Christian. First, it was a life of very loose living and sexual immorality, and she prayed and prayed for years, save my son, save him from sin. And then he left the loose living and he went into false teaching. And then she said, oh, Lord, save my son from these false teachers. And then she went to her pastor. And Thomas Watson says that, that Augustine's mother, her name was Monica, Augustine's mother, she had more birth pains for Augustine's spiritual birth than for his natural birth. She so cried and prayed that God would save him. She went to her pastor and she said, oh, please talk, will you not talk to my son? And please just try and convince him to turn away from this nonsense, this false teaching where he's rejected Jesus. And the pastor said, I'm not going to talk to him because he's so stubborn and proud, he will not listen. He thinks he's got all the answers. And then she begged him and she grabbed a hold of the pastor and started crying and said, please, you must talk to my son. And then he said, woman, it is not possible for a son of such tears to perish. He will answer those prayers. I know some of you feel that way. You've told me. And when I pray for you in the week, I pray for those children of yours who you've said they do not serve the Lord. Pray for them. May the Lord hear those prayers. Please do not close your heart. If you're here this morning, either a backslider or an unbeliever, or you think you're a Christian but your life shows you not, Please do not do what the innkeeper did, what the hotel manager did when he said to Mary and Joseph, sorry, it's full, no place for you. Please do not say that to Jesus. Don't close your heart to him and say, sorry, I've got other things occupying, other things of importance, no place for you. Please do not do what the world did to Jesus. His, whole, his own creation rejected him. Please do not do what the Jews did. He came to his own people, but they did not receive him. John 1, verse 10 and 11. Do not do that to your Lord and Savior. Open your heart. Your, your heart. Open it to him as his heart is open to you. Didn't we sing that? Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart Prepare him room. The Lord be with you. Father, oh, open the hearts of your people. Yes, our hearts stand wide open, Lord. Wide open for you. Let Christ be formed in us. Let the Christ who was born in Bethlehem be born in hearts who are still lost in this world, though they may sit in a church building. And for us who have been saved, let Christ be formed in us. In Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake, to the glory of your most high and eternal name we pray. Amen.